You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast, Friday edition of the show, or maybe it's Saturday morning, you're inside the Autzen uh, Stadium parking lot tailgating, or maybe you're getting ready for college game day and it's pitch blackout and you're listening to the show. Welcome to Friday's edition, the prediction show, uh, Matt Prame, Eric Scopa, Jared Mack on the podcast. Uh, it's just over 24 hours before kickoff. Uh, biggest game at Austin since Michigan State in 2014. It's the first time two top 10 teams have played each other since that game. I, I kind of think it is maybe the biggest game at Austin since then. Yeah, and it has conference championship, you know, ramifications, right? I mean, that, that it has game playoff ramifications potentially. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're, and I, I, but I was just the fact that it's in conference maybe makes it bigger uh, yeah. to a certain degree and, and we're further into the season um, there's a little bit more um, on the line from that regard that 14 team obviously ended up playing for a national championship had they lost that game they aren't doing that because they also lost to Arizona that year but no I, I think uh, yeah I mean let's put this way or whatever Oregon's college football playoff chances are and we haven't really discussed that and I think rightfully so because it's they won five straight there's a bunch left in the back end of the schedule there's still I mean, the, the first CFB uh, rankings haven't come out, so that conversation is kind of a ways out. But if Oregon were to lose this game, we would completely write off any college football playoff chances because they would have two losses, and a two-loss yeah. team from the Pac-12 is never making it. Um, now, if they win this game, I think you can start maybe having – maybe we'll have a little chatter this weekend about what that looks like and we'll see where they are in the rankings and – Yada, yada, yada. I'd still be a little skeptical of kind of where things are. I think if they were to win out, I think they'd make it. But I mean, we can get that conversation later. But yeah, no, this game is huge. This game is massive. It's also big for UCLA from a playoff yeah. perspective. Well, I, I, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Both for teams. The pack. It's good. Yeah. It's, yeah. These are the teams right now, at least, that have the best odds of, of probably making it to something like that, um, along with USC with one loss as well. So yeah, huge game. Big game. Going to be fun to go see how it plays out. And for Oregon, it's. Uh, I think an opportunity on a national stage. I know they've been there a little bit previously, but with the college game day crew in town, um, with a prime time kind of slot here on a major network, an opportunity to atone for some things that happened early in the season and maybe change some minds. I think there's a lot of people who probably haven't watched much Oregon since the Georgia game, and maybe rightfully so. Here's an opportunity against an opponent that is ranked mm-hmm. in the top 10 to maybe change some opinions. Yeah, this is. Easily, like Matt said, the biggest game in Austin since that Michigan State game. I don't know if it's bigger than the Michigan State game. I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure that out in my brain while while you both were talking. I feel like there's a little more national attention in the Michigan State game. Maybe it was because Michigan State is like kind of a blue blood of, of college football and a bigger name. But 
this is a, this is as big as it gets for the Pac-12. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, both of these teams, like you guys just mentioned, have some playoff hopes. I mean, obviously they have playoff hopes, but some playoff ramifications will come from this game. Um, these right now look like the best two teams. If there is a Pac-12 team in the playoff, um, the one of these two are probably it, considering that USC just lost last week and USC and UCLA still have to play together or play against each other. Um, this is this is huge. You know, game days here. Josh Pate of 24-7 is coming down here as well. Um, I actually uh, like the, the 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 students on campus are really excited for game day. A lot of them are you know, pitching up tents and like waiting to camp out, which good for them because that it's going to be cold tonight and going into tomorrow it's going to be raining. It's not going to be a fun environment to to kind of sleep out there. But people are excited and. This is a you know a twelve thirty Pacific Standard Time start, so it's three thirty Eastern. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the television. It's on Fox. It's not you know pushed away to FS1. It's front and center. This is a time for Oregon, like Eric was mentioning, to make a statement about who they are as a program because the last time they were on big time national television against a top ten team, you know they ended up going home with the tails tucked between their legs. They had forty nine to three to Georgia. Like that's. Um, not the ideal image that you want to show to a national audience that is no longer this team. I think both of these programs have uh, UCLA and Oregon have improved since week one or two or three, whatever. Um, I think this is at that both potentially at their heights going into this game. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun one and one that you know, I think the national media and national attention will, will get a lot from if they, if they, if they watch this game. Jared's right. I, I think this is a huge statement game for Oregon, also for UCLA, but to wash that taste of defeat out of people's mouths from week one, because yeah, they played at 1230 against BYU on Fox, but no offense to the BYU Cougars, it's BYU. And I don't know how many people were legitimately looking at BYU as, hey, this is a this is a top 10 team. This is a squad that could maybe get themselves into the playoff discussion or a New Year's Six Bowl game. It's BYU. And then the following week, they played at 1230 again, yes. But it was Washington State. And again, no offense to the this time, the Washington State Cougars. But they weren't undefeated. Uh, they they you know, aren't they don't carry the same cachet as a UCLA. But even though UCLA is not like this humongous juggernaut blue blood, they still are a bigger national name than Washington State is. And quite frankly, the Bruins are top 10 in the country and undefeated. And they've got Chip Kelly coming in. So, yeah, Jared's right. This is a huge opportunity for Oregon to showcase their improvements. Um, and real quick, we should plug this. Brandon Marcello of the College Football Daily podcast for our network had Dan Lanning on the show on Friday for the podcast to preview it. He talked a little bit about just the improvements they've made since week one. So you can get some insight from Lan Lanning on that podcast with Brandon Marcillo. Make sure to check that out as well after you're done listening to this one. And, and um, we should note, Matt, it's on our feed as well. You can find yes. it just by looking at Odds and Audibles on, on the podcast app. That is correct. Um, Jared also touched on the weather here. And this is something to monitor um, outside of – the football game, the area that the University of Oregon is in drastically needs water. It needs rain really bad because of forest fires that are in the area. So much so that, guys, uh, Oregon practiced inside a couple times this week because of 
smoke and the air quality levels. Um, youth sports around the area this week had been canceled multiple times or postponed because of smoke in the area. It it's something I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't think the game at, on Saturday is going to get canceled, but the AQI has to be um, consistently below 200, and it's not there right now. Um, but weather is in the forecast. It's going to rain all night Friday night. It's going to rain all day Saturday um, for during the game, before the game, after the game. Now we were checking, we turned the meteorologist before the show started. We were looking at expected rain counts and all of that. It, it's, it's not going to hit an inch. It's not even going to hit half an inch of rain. Um, it, it's just going to be a wet, slow falling rain all day. Um, how much does that impact things? I don't know, but it's good. The, the turf's going to be, Playing surface is going to be wet. The ball is going to be wet. Is that going to factor at all into either offense? I don't know. I, I think it's a valid question. And we also know how weather forecasts go. Maybe it rains more. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it doesn't rain at all. And it is kind of smoky. I mean, I, th- I think it'll rain at least Friday night, which should clear out some of the smoke. And I don't want to complain too much about it, but I'm, I might put on my rain jacket and go for a nice like evening walk around the neighborhood just because I haven't been able to – I haven't gone in for a walk in like two weeks because it's been so smoky out here. And I just don't want to brave it out there with like with my asthma coughing all, the, all over the neighborhood. So um, I'm looking forward to a little bit of rain. I don't want it to impact the football game, though. And it doesn't sound like it will. It's not going to be California 2013 based on the forecast in terms of just like torrential downpour. And if for those of you who are unfamiliar, go try to find some highlights of that, photos, or go look at Jared Goff's. Uh, stat line. I mean, he was pulled after three series because they fumbled it three straight times. I mean, it was absolute brutal. Um, so the uh, small hands thing came into play for Jared Goff. Bring up small hands early in the pod, Matt. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it was also a deal where I was in the front row of the press box and my laptop was getting wet, so I had to like go sit somewhere else in the press box. Like, I mean, it was a weird, weird day. Anyway, we're not expecting anywhere near that, but I think Don Essex' um, pregame declaration might be proven a little bit uh, inaccurate this Saturday. I think it might rain in. He'll still say it. He's going to say it, and he should oh, say it. of course. Because yeah. you always say it. But I think I think it's going to be – he's probably going to say it, and there's going to be some laughter kind of in his voice a little bit. about oh, it never rains in Austin Stadium, and it's raining right now. Um, you know, so I – but that's something to be aware of. And, and in terms of just, like, how it impacts things, uh, you know, we did ask Bo Nix about playing in, in weather, and he says he's played twice in the rain in the southeast – uh, once in 2019 against Samford and once in 2020 against Arkansas. Auburn won both those games. His passing stats were a little limited. I think he had like 175 or less yards in both games. Um, so he wasn't throwing the ball that much, but they won both games and he was pretty effective, no turnovers neither. So he can at least handle a little bit, but he even said in the interview, kind of like, we're hoping that the rain kind of stays away. We don't, we don't want to necessarily play in the rain just because this offense has been clicking so much. I think that's the one thing where you kind of wonder if it's light rain, like the forecast suggests, I don't know how much the game plan changes. You know, a wet ball is a wet ball. Quarterbacks can work on that. Maybe Matt, we should go and measure the hands of both quarterbacks. If that's a thing. (laughs) Ask, we should have had Bo put his hand up and be like, "Uh Oh, that's a problem. Or like, Oh, okay. This is going to be, this is going to be a, okay. Same thing with Dorian. Uh, but, you know, I, I think 
you just wonder this is supposed to be a shootout i think it i think the odds are it still will be but you just kind of wonder how it impacts some of the offenses in terms of will we see a little bit more uh underneath passing a higher degree of reliance on the run game etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I don't think it's going to take away from what will be a really fun game, but you know it'll be an added element to at least be aware of. Especially if it, I think it it, it could be a minimal minimal impact if it is uh, a drizzle, but if it ends up being a little bit more, it could get a little bit. It could be interesting. If it's a drizzle, yeah, I think both teams should be fine. Like, and and the other thing is, I don't really know which team this benefits. If it does, if it is raining, let's say it does get to be a point where it's raining pretty hard. I don't think this benefits one team or the other because I think they're both pretty similar in how they operate, where it's you know like a ground to pound first, then if you want to throw, go ahead and throw. Um, I, I could see how Knicks wouldn't want it to rain just because Oregon's offense is clicking and they're clicking through the air a lot too. Um, and obviously it's just harder to throw the football through the air. But if it's just drizzling, I don't feel like this will be a significant change in their game plan for either teams. Um, it might be a little harder to throw the ball and there might be some turnovers, but I think that could potentially be on both sides. I don't think it's like, oh, since it's raining, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to throw six interceptions and Bo Nix will throw zero. Like I, That's just not how it's going to work. Um, I, I did look at my weather service. Matt, I don't know about you, but I'm an AccuWeather man. I don't know what, what you use. Oh, weather, app, weather. Weather, weather Channel app. Mm, I see. Okay, here. so in, in the AccuWeather uh, hourly forecast, it, it's predicting thunderstorms potential thunderstorms during the game from 12 Ooh. to 3 p.m. So that's that's a new one. I don't I don't know if, if Don Essick will call out it never thunders in Autzen Stadium because <laughs> uh, AccuWeather thinks it might. So I think that'll be interesting. I just don't think the – as long as it's not just a torrential downpour of rain, like a monsoon, I don't think the game plan for either team will be really in effect. Um, you know, the over-under on this game has – it actually increased since it's gone or since their lines were initially posted. I think it went from 69 and a half to 72. Um, so the, the uh, Vegas is not afraid of the rain. Uh, mark that down. Not afraid of rain, Las Vegas. Um, and I don't think Oregon or UCLA's offense will be afraid of the rain either. Let's do a power ranking here for a second. This is totally off the cuff. Okay. Jared got me thinking about when he said drizzle and it not be a, a big issue. What's the what, what? Let's break down the differences here real quick. Sprinkle, mist, mm. drizzle, downpour, and just straight rain. What? 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 What's? I think downpour is the worst, but after where that, do, um, it could be. Where does where does cats and dogs rank on this too? We got to. Mm, that's I, that's the that's the worst. I think that okay. surpasses uh, that surpasses downpour. If it's raining Agreed. cats and dogs, I mean that seems yes. like that seems like rather large rain. Mm -hmm. Those are big drops. I would say uh, mist is the is the lowest on the totem pole yes. in terms of rain coming down. And then sprinkle for me. Sprinkle, mm -hmm. I think sprinkle. Sprinkle for sure. Yeah, I think rain is under downpour because it's it's raining. You know, it's not ra ra pouring. Rain is rain is the kind of mid right. That's like the that's the baseline. The baseline, and then, it, yeah. and then the everything baseline. is either above it or, or below it, based upon. So a drizzle is a drizzle is just a little bit below a, a normal rain. Is that what yes. we're saying? One hundred percent. Yeah, you absolutely. Think, you think a drizzle is above a sprinkle? <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. Okay, I think I'm in agreement. I just hadn't done this yeah. either before. Um, and we'll get. I think this. Maybe we should just talk weather the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm down. Let's do it. 
High humidity on Saturday too, 79%. Oh, woof. It's going to be interesting. All right, let's actually talk some, <laughs> some keys to the game here uh, and maybe some things to, to watch. Guys, for me, um, I, I want to say third down defense for Oregon because we're, we'll have a story up on that today on the site. Um, UCLA is the best offense in the conference in converting third downs. Uh, Oregon is one of the worst third down defenses in the country. Um, some of that is skewed towards the Georgia game when they went nine straight and finished nine of 10. But the caveat here is that that's the simple point. I think the real story is what can Oregon do on first and second down to create third and longs? Dan Lanning said they don't face – UCLA doesn't face a lot of third and longs because of their offense being able to stay on schedule. And those third downs get converted into first downs because – they can either run the football or they don't need to have, you know, they can, they could throw short real quick for a first down, or maybe most importantly, DTR can improvise here a little bit. And then instead of running for nine yards, he only needs to run for three and get a first down. That's a lot, you know, covering three yards is a lot harder than covering nine yards. And so for me, can Oregon win on first and second down defensively to force UCLA into those third and tens, third and elevens, third and eights, type situations because I think if they face those, they're going to win a lot of those battles. It may be closer to a 50-50, maybe even more split towards Oregon's favor in that game. But if it's third and three, third and two, third and one, even I almost want to say third and five, I'm going to lean towards UCLA, and that's where Oregon's defense won't get off the football field. Long drives sustained by UCLA makes the offense for Oregon have to play almost perfect either to match or stay ahead of the Bruins offensively. Yeah, just the stats, the rankings, I should say, in third downs. UCLA is uh, fourth nationally at 56% on converting third downs. Oregon's defense is 129th out of 131 yeah, schools. Nice. And it's allowing who's, who's 131? Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Oregon's not what you want to be associated with. Yeah, Oregon's actually not last in the Pac-12 because somehow Colorado's doing it worse. But Oregon is like 50.4% or something. I was looking at it for a story I wrote yesterday. Um, yeah, not great. And, and you know, I think I'm going to kind of stick with a similar idea here of one of the things UCLA has worked on defensively is slowing and kind of eliminating explosive plays. And they've done a really good job of that this year. The counter to that is they still give up a lot of long, methodical drives. And the argument for this game maybe not reaching that lofty over-under or not getting to quite as high scoring would be maybe there's not a lot of explosive plays from either side, and it's just a lot of methodical, long 12, 15-play drives that end in touchdowns, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Or force in some cases, maybe field goals. I think for Oregon, it's if UCLA does take away, and I think Oregon's shown they can do this, um, especially uh, the last couple of weeks, if if UCLA does take away some of the stuff over the top. They're playing zone. They're playing with deep safeties. How does Oregon kind of manage those drives? And let's say, for example, um, you know, Nick's, I think you feel good about because he has been effective in terms of sticking with the game plan, but he also has a propensity for taking some deep shots and missing yep. on those of late. And you just kind of, I just kind of wonder if, if UCLA sort of bides its time and kind of says, Hey, you're going to, we're not going to really give you this at some point. Do they, do they try to throw it over the top and could that be a problem? 
Um, you know, I, I think Bo's been awesome. And I think this is going to be another big test. I don't think UCLA's defense is all that great, to be honest with you. And I think Oregon has a chance to be uh, very effective offensively here. But I think they have to play within kind of the game plan to understand UCLA is going to play a defense that maybe invites you to throw it underneath. And you just kind of have to accept it and not fall into the trap of, well, shoot, let's try to hit Troy or Chris deep because that's where there's a possibility of turning it over. So for me, it's just kind of like if you're Bo, especially for Bo, is sort of just playing with what, you know, take what they're giving. And if they're giving you a lot of underneath stuff to the running backs, to the tight ends, um, and, you know, to chase Coda on kind of shorter routes, then you accept those rather than trying to force it. I think for me, I'm, I'm one of the main keys is, is defensively Oregon has to try to stop Zach Charbonnet and, and UCLA's run defense or run offense, excuse me. Uh, more so, I'm, I'm interested just to see how they stop DTR himself in, in the run game. Um, he's not a, like an unbelievably explosive runner. He only has a couple games where he's accumulated a, a decent amount of yards. But you know, there's been a lot of there was a lot of praise from Dan Lanning all all week long. The the, the players as well about how DTR is a different type of running quarterback than who they've played in the past. Um, it seems like uh, Dan compared him to Knicks, but that was more in terms of his experience. But I think he's a similar type of runner where he's he's capable of, of juking in and out. He's capable of busting off a long run. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see how Oregon's defense aligns during the game because um, against you know, Washington State, they ran a lot of a lot of dime packages against Arizona two weeks ago. They ran a lot of, you know, three linebackers, a three, three, five set. Um, to get more speed on the field, which worked against Jaden Delara, but and and Co, uh, Cowing and Doran Singer, um, but I don't know if that'll work against UCLA because I feel like, you know, I, I said this before and on on one of our podcasts, you know, I love Jed Fish, great Patriot legend, but Chip Kelly is just a better offensive mind, and if you come out in the same package as you did a, a two weeks ago against Arizona with all that game tape, Chip Kelly has the potential to to, to break you apart and break you down. Um, in that three-three-five look, so I'm interested to see how Oregon lines up to try to uh, limit DTR in the pocket, and how they try to get as much speed on the field as possible to eliminate the run game and eliminate screens and things like that. Because we all know that Oregon's problem on defense, specifically this season, has been running east to west, not necessarily north to south. So in order to get the most speed on the field to eliminate DTR running the ball on the outside or in a bro broken down play. Um, I think that's going to just be a major factor in terms of how Oregon's defense gets off the field and converts on third downs finally. Real quick, before we take a break, coaching matchup. I thought Dave Woods said something interesting on our Thursday podcast from Bruin Report Online. Um, and I, I kind of agree with him that he called Chip Kelly a, a much better in-game coach or you know, scheme coach than Mario Cristobal. Yeah, and I agree. That's, I would agree. That's not really not, going out on a limb. <laughs> yeah, but the question here is, how much of advantage does Chip have over Dan? Do you feel like because there was an advantage over Mario? Is how wide is the talent gap here from the two guys running these two programs? I don't know that answer. I, I think you favor Chip. Chips, but Oregon's got the far superior roster than UCLA does. Uh, I think that's what could be really interesting about this game is, is coming away feeling. I mean, because what have we been saying 
this season is we've been impressed with these young coaches. But this is going to be a test where, you know, Chip's a much more established coach. And yeah. from an offensive perspective, what have we been saying? We've been saying, is Dillingham the most creative offensive play caller Oregon has had since Chip's been here, since Mark Kelfrich has been here, who was obviously a Chip, um, you know, disciple, somebody who worked underneath him. Um, will Oregon be able to counter some of the stuff that Chip does? You know, and I think the other thing, that stands out to me is I, I go back to that Georgia game where Dan was really honest about the fact that we defensively didn't have enough on our call sheet to rebut some of the stuff Georgia did. We didn't have enough in our bag. Basically we weren't prepared as a coaching staff to put certain defensive looks on the field against this offense. And Georgia basically ran a handful of plays over and over and just sliced and diced us up and down the field. We know UCLA is going to be more nuanced than that, in part because Chip is, a, as, as Dave said a couple of days ago, and as Matt and I were talking, or just said a second ago, is, is a really good game planner. It's a great offensive mind. What he's doing now is very different from what he did at Oregon, but he is still somebody who can um, you know, scheme up a game that can really challenge defenses. And I will be very curious to see when UCLA has the ball, when Oregon is on defense, of how many times do we just come away saying, Oh boy, they 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 it, it wasn't the talent on the field that was lost there. It was maybe the players in the field weren't in position or they weren't schematically the right personnel in the field, etc. Right. Um, because that was what we saw against Georgia over and over again. And Dan was very honest about how that was unacceptable. So um, to answer your question, Matt, I think we would right now say it seems like Chip should have the advantage based on experience over yeah. most of these coaches because most of Oregon's coaches don't have anywhere near as much experience and experience coaching at a high level. Um, but I don't necessarily feel like we'll come out of Saturday saying, man, it was chip and chip by a mile here uh, in terms of being the best coach on the field. And, you know, you know, the probably the, the green and yellow glasses would say maybe you even come away from an Oregon win saying, hey, Dan really proved himself against chip and, and maybe even had the better day. I'm not necessarily predicting that'll happen, but I think that's a possible outcome. Um, but I think a lot of it's going to come down to what we see defensively against against Chip. Chip's an offensive-minded coach. Dan's a defensive-minded coach. How do those sides kind of match up? To answer the question, like, yes, Chip should be ahead of Dan in this department just because of his experience. But how these two match up together, we don't know. And I guess we'll find out by the end of Saturday. Um, this, I, to me, this feels like a game where the only thing that matters is trying to stay one step ahead. So Chip's trying to stay one step ahead of Dan and, and Tosh's defense and Tosh and Dan's defense are trying to stay one step ahead of Chip Kelly. Um, again, this is a defense that has significantly improved in some of these departments and then has fallen back and then improved again. Um, we'll have to see how it works out in this game with UCLA and their offense and how Oregon's defense has prepared. They've had two weeks to get ready for this game. I know Dan said that. The bye week doesn't necessarily all focus on UCLA. They implemented some packages about teams that they're playing later in the season. But, you know, I bet a fair, I bet a fair amount of that bye week was, was dedicated to UCLA. And I bet UCLA's bye week was a fair amount of that was dedicated to what Oregon does too. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup because it's, you know, Chip Kelly, who's we, you guys just ran through has been an experienced coach and a game changer, um, a, somebody who brought a whole new element of this spread offense to college football. And now you have the up and coming, the young kid at, as a head coach, a defensive mastermind who's been praised for years about his ability to 
study game film and learn on the fly and constantly asking these new questions. Um, I think this is a really interesting matchup. Uh, Dan has, a, has an opportunity with him and Lupoy to showcase what this defense really is. And I don't think there's a better team to do it against than, than Chip Kelly's UCLA, who's always, you know, the, despite the talent that is or is not on the roster, it's always a prominent offense in the Pac-12 and one that can run up the score in, in, in certain cases. So um, to answer the question, I think we'll find out on Saturday. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll dive into some predictions and then end the show with our game pick for the Saturday's showdown. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audible's podcast. All right, guys, game picks here. Um, offensive team prediction, offensive player prediction, and then vice versa for defense, and then we'll roll into our, our game pick. Uh, offensive team prediction for me is going to be so much has been focused, and rightfully so, on the rain and the weather impacts it's going to have uh, on the passing games for both these these teams. I'm going to zig when it's zagging a little bit. I, I think Oregon's receivers or tight ends or running backs, there will be two players who will go over 65 yards receiving in this football game for Oregon. Um, I think most likely the scenario is Troy Franklin and Chase Coda, but I could see that, you know, I could, I could see one of those guys not doing it and someone else, maybe a Hudson catches a 50 yard bomb and a, couple other passes or maybe we get some swing passes and, and dollars maybe breaks loose a couple times for some big gains but I think the passing game is going to do a little bit better than anticipated due to the, all the weather and it's going to produce two receivers tight ends or running backs going over 65 yards each receiving in this game we're doing team predictions Matt I'm just confirming yes okay. yes you did a double individual as a team got it okay um I just picked the receipt you know I just I just yeah, picked yeah, no. I'm just, making sure. catchers, I guess. I'm just making sure I do this in order. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm sticking ground game. You know, I, I love it when a matchup features some some good on good, and that's what we're getting here. Um, you know, Oregon is tops in the Pac-12 in rush offense and rush defense. UCLA is second in both. So we're going to have an opportunity, I think, to see, um, you know, get, get a better feel for how dominant this run offense is and how dominant this run defense has been. And for UCLA, it's the same, it's the same questions with, you know, with different answers, maybe. 
um, you know, how, how, how dynamic are both these run offenses? Does one of them outperform the other? And, and ultimately, I didn't say it as a key to the game, but that could be something that really determines the outcome is if, if one team's rush offense sputters and doesn't produce like it has, this is kind of where both mm-hmm. offenses have really been thriving this year. That could be what differentiates this matchup. So I think Oregon will run the ball effectively. Um, UCLA has held all but uh, two opponents under 100 yards rushing this year. Oregon is always you know, has run over 140 every game. They've surpassed 200 four times, 300 twice. Um, I think Oregon is going to get to 200 yards in this game. In my Scopaldamas predictions, which you can go check out on DuckTerritory.com, I said run for 193 or more yards because the current UCLA season high allowed was 192 by Utah um, against UCLA right before the bye week. I think they're going to hit that number, but I'll, I'll just give a re- nice round number and say Oregon runs for more than 200 yards. Yeah, it was the same way. I went over 193, like you said, Eric, in your Scopaldamas predictions. I didn't copy them, but I went all the way back to uh, what what the what their record allowed has been the last couple of years. And then I saw you know, last year against Utah, they allowed 290 yards on the ground. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think that was going to happen for Oregon. And if it does, I, I would be absolutely stunned um, because UCLA's defensive front is pretty good. But yeah, I think this had weather factored into it as well. I thought about zagging and going the passing route like Matt did just because why not? It's always good to zag every once in a while, but I, even with the weather, Oregon's offense is still about their ground game. And they still have Bucky Irving. They still have Noah Whittington. Um, they still have Jordan James in the goal line. This is still a run-heavy offense. So I'm going over – I'll go over 200 as well, um, make a nice clean number, and uh, give UCLA some fits on the ground. If, uh, if, if your 300 number were to hit, Oregon might win in a route would be what I would say. And that's why I yeah. don't expect – They would have – I would imagine it would be like two or three runs over like 60 yards and just boost that number up. Okay, Eric. Uh, I'm going to pull an audible. Just an as an audible? Of, <laughs> oh, sure. Ooh. Hey, just as a uh, homage to you, I will let you go first on your player pick here. Oh, oh nice. Okay, are you picking Bucky? Because I'm not picking Bucky. I am. I am – he's like – He's like behind. I'm 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 done with him. That He's sounds, your troubled child now. That, that sounds so mean. I, I'm a huge fan of the player. I've just been bit three times now on the Bucky over 100 yards thing. No, I I'm actually uh, I'm going the reemergence of Terrence Ferguson. Not necessarily from a yardage perspective, but this is a guy who was really integral to the early success um, in terms of getting in the end zone. He got in the end zone four times in the first three games, twice against Eastern Washington, twice against BYU. And has been really quiet the last three games. I think he has, I think I wrote in my story, what, seven catches for 56 yards, 57 yards, and no touchdowns the last three weeks. I think he's going to get in the end zone again. Um, I do think, I wrote this on Thursday when the forecast suggested maybe a little heavier rain, um, that I do expect some of the passing to be underneath more. And I think that's still true because of what I outlined earlier in terms of how UCLA tries to play defensively. But um, I think I think Ferguson maybe is a little bit more involved in this game, and I think he gets in the end zone for the first time in what'll be over a month now. All right, I am going, Bucky. Oh, no! Oh. It continues the streak of being included in the podcast. Hundred yards or more on the ground for Oregon. He came close twice, three yards shy against BYU, three yards shy against Stanford. Um, I just think 
yes, I did pick there's going to be some offensive plays throwing the football that will happen in this game. But like you guys said earlier, Oregon's bread and butter is still running the game, running the ball. And with maybe a little wetter of a football, uh, I think maybe there's going to be a, a little more opportunity to run the football. And that's where Bucky gets his first 100-yard rushing game as an Oregon Duck. It's going to be really crushing if, if he gets it the week you predict it. I know. <laughs> I had uh, I had Bucky over 100 like written down in case nobody predicted it so I could keep the streak going. Um, but I got, I'll got i have Nick's over 300 yards combined with pass. Ooh, and I like rush. it. And, oh. and a receiving if, if he wants to do that because he's done it once this year. But, yeah, he That's- could do 250 plus 50. I think he's yeah. capable. I think this – I think Oregon in the last couple of games has really unlocked Bo Nix's ability to run. I think Kenny Dillingham really likes the fact that he has a really agile and mobile quarterback in Nix and with a great offensive line and a, a couple wide receivers who've done a very good job blocking, like Troy Franklin on the outside. Um, again, I think this is a good day for Nix. I think he continues his hot streak this year. I think he continues to do well at home in Autzen Stadium um, despite the rain. I'm zagging a little bit here. I don't think it's going to be like we, you know, our, our weather podcast that just happened earlier. Um, I don't think it's going to be that bad of rain. So I think that Nick's is going to have the opportunity to throw the ball and um, I'm predicting it. So here we go. I like it. That's a tough, that's an interesting one. That's a, that's a pretty high watermark there. 300. I think it's, I think it's capable. It's like 250 plus 50. I think he's done that. I mean, he's Which, averaging over 15 yards a carry right well, now. I, I, I was, I was going to follow up, which is the 250? Is that passing or rushing? Oh, good question. Uh, I'm going to guess it's going to be passing. 250 <laughs> rushing from a quarterback. 250 would be awesome. Would be very impressive. <laughs> I think Lamar Jackson would be very impressed. And, and then 50 yards passing, you'd be like, wow, that was interesting. <laughs> is this Braxton Burmeister? Ouch. <laughs> All right. Uh, some rushing stats, or not rushing stats, defensive stats, which plays right into where I'm going for my prediction. Um I think Oregon's defense collectively is going to do a very good job of containing Zach Charbonnet on the ground. I, oh. I, I think this will be his lowest rushing total of the season to date. It's currently 78 yards against South Alabama, 13 carries. He went for 35 against Oregon last season. Um, I think Oregon's defensive line, yes, Kayvon Thibodeau is no longer at Oregon. Um, he factored a little bit in that game, but or in, in Oregon's run defense. But everybody else, for the most part, is either back or with Popo being out, they found, I think, a viable replacement, maybe even a better replacement, I don't know, um, than Popo last season. But everyone else is kind of back along that front seven. And so I, I just think they're going to bottle up Charbonnet. He's going to score a touchdown. But I don't think this is going to be a like what he did against Utah, 22 carries, 198, and a touchdown looked just unstoppable. Um, I, I think Oregon's going to corral Charbonnet to his current or his to-date season low in rushing yards, which would be 77 or fewer yards on the on the ground. I'd be I'd be really impressed if that's the outcome. That would be mm-hmm. really impressive for this defense to to do that. They've been really good against the run this year. I oh, just it, wait. I just think wait. it might. I th- oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think in my head I've been like he's probably going to get his hundred yards, but if, if Matt's right, Oregon's probably pretty likely going to win this game because that's that's a huge component of this UCLA offense. Mm-hmm. 
All right, I have one that's kind of a little bit more outside the box a little bit, um, and it plays into the third down defense thing. Um, you know how many times UCLA – sorry, go ahead, something in my throat there. You know how many times UCLA has punted this entire season? Five. That's that's really low. Twelve, which is the lowest in the country. Um, <laughs> five, five would be absolutely incredible. Five would be absurd. Um, Twelve times all season. The most in a single game was three. I think Oregon will force UCLA to punt at least four times in this game. Um, you know, the other part about that is that UCLA does go for it on fourth, a little bit higher than national average, um, so that there is a you know they're not always punting, but sometimes they go for it and they get it or they don't get it. Uh, I I think, and again I wrote some of these prior to the weather forecast shifting a little bit and being a little bit less heavy rain. I I, I do think there's going to be opportunities for this game to get a little bit mucky and for Oregon to step up and, and force some stops on third down. And I, and I genuinely think the other part for me is this is just the latest item on Dan Lanning's list of things to work on. And you go and you kind of look yeah. at the history this season of they what seems to be kind of the MO of, of a Dan Lanning coach team is you identify a weakness, you work really hard at it, and you come out and you have some success in – counteracting that and Oregon has progressively gotten a little better on third downs but I know that that was one of the things when we asked during the bye week of like he said okay we've got individual player performance goals but then we also have offensive and defensive goals of kind of what we're working on and defensive third down and offensive third down were two things that they were focused on and it's my belief that they'll come out and be better on third down in this game and force UCLA to punt it at least four times. So I made my defensive predictions first, which is so I my Bo Nix when I was cheating off my defensive predictions because I have Oregon's going to hold Dorian Thompson Robinson to under 285 yards of total offense, either rushing, catching, or throwing, which has only happened three times this season: once against Southern Alabama, once against Alabama State, where he only threw for. 11 times, I think Garbage got in for four. They, they won like 45 to seven, barely counts. And then almost against Colorado, coincidentally enough, where they held him to 290 total yards. Um, like Eric mentioned, Dan's defense and Tosh Lupoy's defense, when they've had these issues, they have seemed to improve them. And uh, the team overall has seemed to improve their issues on a week-to-week basis. Um, with mobile quarterbacks so far this season, other and Against Arizona, they did well, but against Cam Ward, they did not. Jaron Hall, I thought they did a decent job, and I thought he did a lot of stat padding in the fourth quarter where the game just wasn't close. But that Cam Ward game sticks out in recent memory and on the season because of how well he did. I think Cam is a a good player and, and could potentially be somebody who's a high draft pick later in the future, but this is an opportunity for Oregon's defense to showcase that they can improve against a mobile quarterback. And I expect them to do exactly so in eliminating Dorian Thompson Robinson to under 285 yards. It's interesting. Cause I'm almost the opposite here. Uh, mm. I don't think Charbonnet is going to do much on the ground for UCLA, but I think DTR will, I, I have DTR going for a career high in rushing yards. Um, his current high is 109, which came in the first game of the season of the 2020 COVID year when he went nine carries, 109 yards, one touchdown. 
don't think he's necessarily going to have that high of a yard per carry average, which is 12 and change. But I could really envision an, uh, a game playing out where DTR has close to 20 carries in this game. And I think that's going to factor into him rushing for a career high. I, I, I think if you had to pick your poison, if you're Oregon, you're probably wanting DTR to get the carries and not Charbonnet because Charbonnet is the better back. He's the better runner. He's the best back, I think, in the conference. I think DTR is is talented, but um, he's not like a bruising quarterback. Yeah, he, he's got some cuts. He left those Huskies in the dust on that touchdown run, but he's he can, not a guy. He can, hurdle, he can hurdle guys too. He yeah. can hurdle guys, but I, I just think if you want one of the two to run, it's him. You don't want Charbonnet to, to get – to get the, the the workload, and so I'm thinking a career high on the ground for for DTR running the football, 110 yards or more. So that's your individual defensive prediction. Oh, whoops! Wow, I'm sitting here thinking negative here for Oregon. Um, well, I, I mean, really, I mean, he, that up. I was I was just like intrigued by it because we've never done an individual defensive prediction and then had it be the other team's player. But right. I like it. Yeah. I, I think it works. I mean, I think we can just start doing that. I mean, why not? I mean, it's the, that side of the football. Did you want to? Yeah, do I mean, it? I, I guess the, the the hindsight would then be, I, I think Flo leads the team in tackles. Well, that's my prediction. So, oh, man. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, I sorry, I didn't mean to steal your pick, but I'll just stick with I'll just stick with DTR. I like. I, I kind of like. I like it. Individual bad player. <laughs> Individual <laughs> it's bad. not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I had Justin Flo with leading the team with tackles with 10, and my, my logic was in kind of similar in terms of, you know, the run game for UCLA is, is more nuanced than what Oregon has faced a lot of this season in terms of more designed quarterback runs, uh, a, a quarterback who's going to be more involved in, in the run game than really anybody besides maybe Stetson Bennett, but I don't think Stetson Bennett was even really forced or asked to run the ball very much in that game because, shoot, Oregon just was like, "Hey, anybody in space, go ahead." You guys want you guys want nine yards? Yeah, here, give you guys me want nine not, yards. Yeah, if you want nine yards, give it to this guy. He'll get nine yards. <laughs> you want twenty five? Yeah, this guy will be here for anyway. I, that's enough piling on from that game. Um, but this Oregon defense, I think, has improved a little bit. I think Flo to me is somebody who the bye week I was really. I think this is one of the guys that, like, if you were to highlight guys who really needed some time to get to get right physically, he's one of the guys. He's missed two games this season. We should note, I was looking at snap counts. I know, sorry, Dan, I know PFF snap counts aren't <laughs> accurate, as he's informed us. But the, uh, Justin Flo did play a season high, I think, 36 snaps against Arizona mm-hmm. out of 67. So that's a little bit over 50. That's the first time all year he's played more than 50% of Oregon snaps, by the way, which is crazy. I think he's going to play a pretty significant role. And I think this matchup, I don't want to say it favors him, but it's a matchup that plays to him needing to be on the field a lot because I think Charbonnet is a player that Jeffrey Bassa. Hey, I love Jeffrey Bassa. I think he's great in space at times. I think he's good on passing downs. I don't know if I like Jeffrey Bassa trying to bring down Zach Charbonnet because we've already seen Jeffrey Bassa try to bring down larger ball carriers with, with pretty, with sometimes disappointing results is what I'll say. And I think Flo is a player who can, can maybe bottle some of that up. So I'll go flow leading the team in tackles, and I'll, I also just kind of added a 10 or more to that. So I'm, I'm going flow leading the team in tackles with 10 plus. 
I've been saying all week that I think this game will ultimately be won by how Oregon attacks east to west on defense and how they attacked Oregon Thompson Robinson um, and his quarterback scrambles. So I think that lies squarely on the shoulders of Bennett Williams. So Bennett Williams, come on down. I think you're going to have a great game. I have you over six and a half tackles and then over a half tackle for loss. Um, I think he's Oregon's best perimeter tackling tackler, excuse me, in the last couple of weeks. I think Christian Gonzalez is right there with him. Jamal Hill has had a sneaky good year as well. But I think Bennett Williams is how he plays and the way Oregon has used him in the last couple of weeks. I think they've found some sort of mojo, some rhythm. Um, so I think that he's going to be kind of you know, circling around the perimeter and trying to limit what UCLA does east to west. So over six and a half tackles and over a half tackle for loss. All right, game picks here. I've got Oregon winning. Um, I've the the question for me all all week has been. I don't know why. I'm kind of I've just been confident they're going to win. It just was by how much. Is this going to be a very close game? Is this going to be a come from behind victory, or does Oregon just kind of flex and show that they are the better team and kind of go wire to wire and and win it. I, I, I struggled with that answer for all the entire week. And I, I follow my pick with this theory. The last two times Oregon had two score leads or more against UCLA in the second half. Uh, last year, they were winning 34 to 17. They were winning by 17 points midway through the court, third quarter. And whether you could say it was poor quarterback play, or maybe it was more, Super conservative play calling by Oregon's football staff. The Ducks just kind of just midway, late in the third quarter, early fourth, just kind of shut things down. And it opened the door for UCLA to come back and almost win that game. Um, I don't think Oregon's staff is conservative offensively. And if they get up by two scores early in the fourth quarter, they're not going to go into a turtle shell and and try and just slow the game down and bleed the clock and put themselves in three and outs really quickly like the previous staff did. They've been ultra aggressive when it's been maybe the time to, to be conservative. Um, and then the talent. I, I just keep going back that UCLA doesn't have any five stars on its roster. Oregon has five. UCLA has like 24 four-star recruits. Oregon has almost 50. Um, the Ducks are a top 10 team in talent composite. UCLA is outside the top 25 at number 27. I think the, the differential there is that's where the depth of Oregon maybe shows up. Guy gets dinged up for a series or two and comes out. There's a there's a less of a drop-off when that happens to Oregon than it does at UCLA. And so I, I think Oregon is going to win. This is going to be an awesome game. UCLA is going to score a lot of points. But in the end... Oregon makes a turnover here. They get a stop there. They score a touchdown when UCLA gets a field goal, or they score a touchdown in the middle eight, and then they get the ball back to start the second half again, and they score again to go up, and, and they win this game. And it's an impressive win by Oregon. UCLA comes out feeling defeated, yes, but the outside noise will be is, hey, the UCLA Bruins are pretty legit. Oregon's just pretty good. Um, Oregon wins this one 42-31. They cover the spread and they win by double digits. 
So, you know, when you've got two good teams that do so much well, it's hard sometimes to make these predictions because I've kind of spent the whole week thinking about can Oregon stop DTR? Can Oregon stop Zach Charbonnet? Can UCLA stop Bucky Irving, Bo Nix, Oregon's pass attack? What happens on third down for Oregon defensively? What happens for Oregon third down offensively, right? There's like all of these strengths that when, you know, when you've got two top 10 teams, they're top 10 for a reason. It's because they do a lot of things well. And I think this game is really interesting in terms of trying to decipher what's real. You know, what have we seen as a kind of observation I made to Dave Woods on our podcast on Thursday of, you know, Oregon's won five straight games. What do we think about the competition there? UCLA's won these two games. They've both been at home. I don't know if Washington's that good. I think Utah's really good. That one's impressive. And so I'm kind of talking myself around to say I, I genuinely think this game could go kind of either way. And I'm probably more on the fence than Matt is in terms of the outcome here. Um, I have Oregon winning. I don't have them covering. I think it's going to be lower scoring. I don't know if that's because I've in my head all week kind of thought it was going to rain a lot. Um, I think the under for that over under, would you say, was 72, Jared? I think I think that it, uh, it, it dropped down to 70 and a half since we've done the podcast. No, since I last checked, which was like two days ago. Okay, um, I I have it underneath uh, underneath that. I I think I think it's going to be a really fun game, and I think this game might be decided in the fourth quarter. And I think that's what what makes it interesting is you have two veteran quarterbacks who are playing really really well, and but they're two also two veteran quarterbacks who have histories of making mistakes, right? Yeah. And so I kind of think it's going to be a situation where one of the quarterbacks in a really tightly contended game where it could go either way late makes a mistake. And maybe I'm foolish for doing it, but I'm going to stick with Oregon's guy. And I think Bo's going to, I think Bo's not the player who makes a mistake. I think DTRs, who I have been so impressed with, I, I, I'm predicting he kind of makes a flub late and Oregon holds on. And I have Oregon winning 34 28. And again, a little bit lower score, but a game that I think is just back and forth, back and forth, competitive throughout. Um, but ultimately, Oregon improves and gets gets to bowl eligibility, which doesn't mean much in Eugene these days. But, <laughs> but also kind of solidifies their position as at least one of the front runners to make the the conference championship. This was yeah, this was a tough one. Um, I'm, I'm I think I lean more on Eric's side of of the the clear winner in this scenario um both of these teams are extremely talented both of them play very similar um which i think could be like a detriment to both teams so i think it could be i think it's going to be lower scoring i also have the under um i mean i'll eventually i'll tell you my my answer and my score so you can tell me that's lower scoring but for both of these teams to score what they are going to score as i'm predicting is lower than they normally do but a lot of this comes down to what the defenses can do. Um, UCLA's defense, I've been impressed, obviously, with their rush defense, but when they played Utah, they didn't do so well. And Utah's rush offense is one of the better in the conferences, as they have been in years past. Um, Utah's defense just hasn't been as good as it, it has it hasn't been as good as it has been in years past. And UCLA took advantage of that. Um, I think. UCLA's pass defense is rather unproven, but I think their rush defense is there at, at points. But Oregon's offensive line has been one of the better in the conference. It's been one of the better in the countries. Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington is a heck of a one-two. Um, 
this game is just going to be good at the end of the day. I think it's going to be just a really fun game to watch, a really fun game and an environment to be at. Um, I think it's going to go back and forth for a long time. I think both teams will make mistakes that might cost them the game seemingly at that point. And I, like Eric said, I think it'll come down to the fourth quarter. Um, I, I think it'll probably be tied or at least like a three-point lead hang, heading into the fourth quarter. Um, ultimately, I have Oregon prevailing. I have them winning 38-31. to 31. I think it's going to be just under that that 70-and-a-half mark. Um, I think I came to that result pretty early this past week of what the score was going to be. I just didn't know who was going to be the team that won. Um, I ultimately think that, that the way Oregon's offense is – is designed and how they've been running of late, even though there is the rain in the forecast. Um, I think they're just going to continue to push, push the ball on the ground and hit deep shots over the middle. Um, I think the environment is going to play a huge factor in it as well. Um, UCLA hasn't really played a road game. I know they went to Colorado mm -hmm. and I know that there was 50 plus thousand people there, but that game was over by half basically, at least early in the third quarter. Um, this Otson will be a different environment. I expect there to be UCLA fans there as well, but there's going to be a lot more Oregon fans. They, they're going to be up and ready to go for this 1230 start. So Oregon 38-31. Real quick, all three of us picking Oregon to win, but what, what do we think this environment is going to be like? It's the breast cancer awareness game. They're wearing the pink uniforms. Top 10 showdown. Game day's here. Uh Every given Saturday tour is here. Um, I think this is – it might not get there, but it, it it's going to rival – this is going to be one of those games in my eyes that 10 years later, oh, remember that game? Remember how loud it was? People are going to claim, yeah. oh, it's, I've never heard Autzen that loud before when it, it it had been louder. But people are going to are gonna talk about this one, I think, win or lose um, for a while. There's no excuses for it not – I mean, for it to be anything no, else. Yeah. I mean, like, it, there's – as you laid out, Matt, it has all the elements for a game where Oregon's crowd is an odds and lives up to the expectation and the billing of being the toughest environment at West, one of the toughest nationally. I think it's been, if I'm honest, a couple of years since I've really felt – I mean, they've won a bunch of games at home, by the way. Like, we haven't – that's one of the things we haven't touched on. Oregon's won like, – 22. 22. 22 straight home games – um, UCLA hasn't won at Autzen for like 20 years. I mean, there's a bunch of stats yeah. to back up kind of like success against UCLA at home. But, you know, I think if I'm honest, there's been times where Autzen's been somewhat underwhelming. I don't expect it to be that case on Saturday. No. And if it is, it'll be underwhelming, exponentially more underwhelming just because of what's at stake, what's going on, the caliber of the opponent, what Matt laid out in terms of all of the kind of things on the periphery of this game like there's no reason this shouldn't be an awesome environment and maybe the only one that kind of hurts a little bit is it's an earlier in the day game and if you get like a 4 30 5 30 7 30 game you get guys who maybe you get people who are a little more drunk a little, bit more, up. A little more juiced up yeah having, having been someone who's done uh, uh for the fright night game a decade ago did the college game day in the morning went and drank all day and then yelled in the stands thing before uh pretty fire that that's a that's a that's a way to ensure people are pretty fired up because you've got like a full 13 hours of just just getting getting plastered in the parking lot and getting ready to go watch a football game but 
I think this should be an awesome environment. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of how it plays out. And, and I'm hoping that uh, it doesn't rain too much because I also don't want this to be a thing where it's Cal 2013, where it just absolutely downpours yeah. and like 30% of the fans are like, yeah, I'm going to go I'm good. inside yeah. somewhere rather than be out here. I'm going to zag on the game day thing. I think having the game earlier is better. I think instead of everybody waiting all day to do it, um, you know, game day is going to finish up around like 9 a.m. And people are just going to flock to the stadium or go to a quick tailgate and then flock to the stadium. He's riled up after Sabrina Unescu, who we haven't mentioned, is Oregon's guest picker on college game day once she makes her selections on the show. Um, I, I think the environment's going to be great. Um, yeah, I agree. In the last couple of years, uh, Otson has, I guess, has been – I don't want to say disappointing because it sounds pretty bad, but you know, it's this, this, this tall tale about how the small stadium can sound so loud. It's been talked about for years and years and years. Um, the last time game day was here in 2018, I was a student. That was a, a raucous crowd against Stanford. I know it um, didn't end so well, but um, the crowd was great. Loved it. And that was a late start too, or I think it was like a four thirty start or five start. Um, great crowd, all of that good stuff. But I think this earlier game is actually going to produce more excitement. And um, if Oregon wins, then it'll then Eugene will be set ablaze. I think it, it could be could be a lot of fun after the game as well for for local restaurants and places. All right, it's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the preview show. Next time you hear from us, it'll be post game edition from this big football game late Saturday afternoon, maybe early Saturday evening. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+. Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.